Well, as we start our session tonight, we always enjoy having a little bit of an interview with someone, usually one of our members at Lost River. Uh, this is Charles Kelly. Uh, I know him as dad. He's not a member at Lost River. He's a member of the Olson Park Church of Christ in Amarillo, Texas. And uh, he's here visiting with me this week, uh, which is really special to me for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of which a few months ago, dad, you gave me a phone call from the hospital and uh, it was a very moving conversation for me because uh, at that point you didn't think that you were ever going to go home from the hospital. You were feeling very poorly and you've had heart trouble for many, many years. And uh, we were sort of saying goodbyes at that point. Um, but you were assuring me at that point of, of your confidence and your hope in the Lord. Um, and then we recorded our Wednesday night episode a minute ago. And in the middle of that, your heart defibrillator discharged. So you're literally, you're literally looking at someone who is uh, got one foot on the banana, the proverbial banana peel. And uh, I'm glad that I have the kind of relationship with my dad that we can we can be open about that and even uh, joke about it a little bit, because even though it's such a serious matter, uh, the hope and the faith that you have in our Lord and what he's accomplished for you and your reward ahead of you gives us so much comfort and confidence. So tell us just a little bit about uh, uh, why you're not afraid and, and where this hope and confidence comes from. And even though you know that you're living on borrowed time. I think the big thing is that you look around in the world at people that have no hope and that uh, they live from day to day and, and uh, just simply without hope in anything in this life. And I've, although I have been blessed greatly in this life, I have a wonderful family and, and all that, there's a family that I'm looking forward to being with uh, eternally. And I think that's what gives you the courage to just keep going you know this is coming to an end and who knows when, but in the long run, everything's gonna work out just fine. Well, very good. And uh, we do serve a loving uh, God and, and Father. And one of the things that I'm most grateful for in my life is that I've had an earthly father who uh, gave me a, a, a good uh, idea of, of fatherhood uh, both for me to embody myself and, and raising my children, but also to give me a, a view of, of my, my, what my Heavenly Father is, is like and the, the love and the provision that you've given me and my brother and my mother. Uh, and I'm very grateful to call you dad. And uh, whenever that time comes, um, we will uh, grieve, but we will not grieve as those who have no hope. Exactly. And we'll see you uh, there. And like you said, there's a family we're all going to be a part of and join in very soon. So thank you, Dad, for uh, for joining us. And uh, now we'll be joined by Jarrett in just a moment and get started in our Bible study. Well, thank you for joining us uh, again on this Wednesday night Bible study. As we look into another one another passage, today we're going to be looking at some passages that encourage us to extend hospitality to one another. In fact, Romans 12, 13 says that we are to be given to hospitality. That, that means that it's something that we're to truly invest ourselves in, be devoted to, 
It's not just to be something we do every now and then, but kind of, I think, become a, a lifestyle thing for us. First Peter 4 verse 9 says that we're to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. <laughs> that may be the hardest part because uh, I know at, at times um, all of the difficulty that may be involved in hosting people or having people stay in your home, you can easily uh, develop a bad attitude. Uh, and, and that's not a good thing. We want to do what God calls us to do and we want to do it cheerfully. And he encourages us to do it that way there. But then uh, a passage that really strikes me is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, where we're told to keep on loving each other as brothers. And then he says, do not forget to entertain strangers, or some translations show hospitality, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now that's a strange passage. Imagine that, actually opening up your home inviting people to come in, thinking that you're uh, hosting ordinary folks uh, and come to find out you've actually entertained angels. It seems that there's probably some backstory to what the Hebrew writer is referring to here. And Jarrett, you're always good at providing that background information, so take it away. Well, Genesis 18 is where that backstory is found, and it starts in verse 1. This is kind of right in the middle of the story of Abraham and Sarah and there in Genesis 18 and verse 1, it says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, which uh, maybe I need to do some more research on how to pronounce <laughs> some of these things. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly to the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good. And he gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Um, so many things just kind of pop off the page to me there. The, the, the one that um, initially stands out is sort of the range of hospitality. Okay. You think about the, 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 most obvious, the, the most obvious thing is how they prepared this huge feast. Uh, and, and we'll talk about more of what went into this feast in a second. But then it all sort of started with him wanting to wash their feet. Okay. And so I think there's something to be said about the range of hospitality. It may be as great as pre preparing a, a, a banquet or something as simple as washing people's feet. But therein, I think we find some principles that apply no matter what uh, the, the form of hospitality okay. uh, it might be. And the first is that hospitality is about treating everyone like they're the most important person you've met. Uh, verse two, it says that when they came up, uh, Abraham, he ran out to them and he bowed to the ground. So he acts like he's a servant to a king. He takes this position in, in Abraham. We know he was a man of, of great wealth. Uh, he was a, a, a man of uh, importance, but here he is bowing himself 
down to these strangers who are coming through. But then it emphasizes, first of all, the, the quickness that he does things. Uh, he ran to meet them. He went quickly to the tent. He ran to the herd. He prepared everything quickly. And there's something to be said, I think, about how quickly we do things that shows our care and concern for the other person. If we go to a restaurant and the waiter or waitress is kind of slow and lethargic and lazy, it kind of communicates to us that this isn't a very hospitable place. This isn't a very welcoming place. They don't care very much about their customers. Um, but there's something to be said about how quickly we do things that show some that shows other people that uh, we care and that they're important to us. But then also the quality. Uh, Abraham, he um, downplayed it at first, which is interesting. He says, just let me bring a little bit of water and just a morsel of bread. But then, and I'm not sure exactly how to say this word either, uh, three sias or sias of fine flour, okay. which is, I, I read equivalent to about 21 liters, which I'm not uh, a cook or a baker by any means. So I have a hard time even picturing just how much bread that would make. But I understand that this is an absurd amount. It's not a for, snack. Right. This is no snack. This is an absurd <laughs> amount of food for just three people. Right. But uh, then on top of that, he prepares a calf and it emphasizes the quality of it. Again, it's tender and good. And so he's preparing this feast for a king. And so I, I think it just shows those two things about the quickness and the quality of what, what Abraham is doing here that shows how much he cares, how important uh, he's treating these guests. And it shows something about the, the sacrificing of our time, of our effort, of our energy, of us paying attention to the needs of other people. Um, all these things, I think, prove uh, that, number one, it's hospitality is about treating everyone like they're the most important person we've ever met. But then the other thing, the other takeaway from this is, uh, is that hospitality is about taking care of your own needs last. Mm -hmm. I think there's some, something interesting in, in Ecclesiastes chapter two, there's this repetition of when presumably Solomon talks about his life and how uh, he constantly uses I, me, my, I built for myself, I did these things for me. But here, the words that pop off the page are all you and your. Um, he talks about uh, being a servant of uh, having favor in your sight, being your servant, washing your feet. He asked them to rest yourselves. And then he stood by the tree while they ate. Hmm. Sort of like a waiter or servant. Right, right. And, and it's, it's so interesting because verse 1, it emphasizes... It's in the heat of the day. So Abraham, it almost sets up this scene as if Abraham's been working hard out in the field and he's tired and he's weary and he's just finally getting a break to just kind of sit down and rest. And he's so out of it, it seems that he just kind of pops up and at the last notices these three men coming up. And it's in those moments that like you mentioned, it, it can be so easy to, to grumble. not be hospitable, to, <laughs> to grumble, to grumble about it. But he immediately gets to work. Um, and, and, and so the, the scene kind of ends with not him resting, you know, drinking a, a glass of lemonade after a hard day of work. It's now he's standing almost in the same place where he started when this scene opened. 
but now he's standing and he's serving other people, treating them like they're the most important person that they've met and, uh, and taking care of, of his own needs last. And so I think those are two things that, that stand out in this story about being hospitable to one another. Very good. And, and as it turns out, these, these two guests are angels. Right. Which so often, <laughs> in, yeah, in the Bible, angels do often appear to people as mere uh, men. But uh, I guess it, in his case, it turned out well for him that he did treat them so well mm-hmm. in view of who, who or what they were and who they represented. So, um, yeah, there, and there's just some practicality to it as well. You can just sort of imagine people in the ancient world traveling along. There's, there's no inns, there's no restaurants, there's no gas stations to, you know, take care of whatever needs you have at. So you, you arrive finally at a place and you're, you're probably exhausted, dehydrated, hungry, and uh, and Abraham's response to them is is uh, in, instructive, and I think the points that you've brought out are excellent in what hospitality means. Yeah. Well, and, and also I think it's it's interesting. This probably wasn't the only time that Abraham and Sarah did something like this. Okay. They were in an area that was a common trade route between Asia and I guess it would be East Africa, and so that's a common trade route. So here we have this one story recorded. But they, they probably did this on a, on a number of occasions that shows just the kind of people that they were. Okay. But. Yeah, it seems like, you know, everything, everything stopped in order to serve the needs of the, of the guest, even though they didn't know anything about who they were. So they're bringing strangers almost in, uh, hopefully becoming, you know, close uh, w- with them. And, and certainly it turns out to be a blessing for them. Um, you know, some people would say, yeah, that's that's the world that Abraham lived in and the ancient world, all that made sense. But today we, we have hotels, we have restaurants, we have cars to travel in. It's just not the same. So this this need to show this kind of hospitality just isn't really uh, important anymore. Any, any What are your thoughts on that? Well, certainly that there, there's a sense in which that's true. It's not quite the, the same as it was. We're not traveling in deserts in uh, you know, rationing our food out to try to get from one place to another. But at the same time, uh, we all know what it feels like to to be in the shoes of somebody that feels like you're passing through, to feel like you're in an area of, of unknown. And uh, we need somebody to to welcome us in, to make us feel a part, to, to kind of bring us into a community and a family and uh, make us feel like we have a place um, among yeah, other people. I think that's, that's huge because, you know, uh, while we may have more, um, modes of communication today, uh, than people used to, we struggle to find, um, real connection, mm-hmm. uh, with people and relationships are, um, weaker than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's done in a hurry. Our, our modes of communication are designed to be efficient, uh, they're, they're designed to, to transact business or to promote ideologies. They're not designed to connect people, mm-hmm. to build community, as you said. And so thinking in terms of hospitality as a way, not just of efficiently doing something or taking care of a practical need, but building relationships, inviting people into an environment, a space, and ultimately a relationship uh, that the human heart is in desperate need of, and maybe more today than ever. Mm-hmm. People, uh, we, 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 we interact with more people than people ever have in history, but those interactions tend to be so shallow. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe we can think of hospitality as a way to deepen and enrich and enrich, mm-hmm. enrich uh, the quality of relationship. And I think you see some of Abraham's emphasis in the way he treated these people uh, as an invitation to something deeper. In fact, before we go into some real practical things tonight about hospitality, I'd like to do a little bit of a deep dive into some biblical teaching that I think gives us some foundations for understanding the real significance of hospitality and how God has been hospitable to us, and it really sets the stage for how we should be hospitable toward others. I'll begin this uh, by taking you all the way back to the beginning in, in the Garden of Eden. And Jared, as you think about the Garden of Eden, you think about home. Uh, we're all, we all have a nostalgia. We all have a desire to go back home. And now that you're living in a new place, uh, I'm sure there's times that, that pop up and in every college student's mind, uh, what it's like to sit at mom's table, uh, eat her food, uh, and to be around a friendly and, and familiar environment. And that's kind of what the Garden of Eden in, in some ways ultimately represents. It's, it's home. It's the place where we belong. And Adam and Eve were, uh, and in them, all of humanity was where it, it needed to be. And, and Eden was a place of security. Uh, it was a place of provision. They had everything that they need, needed taken care of. Uh, it was a place of, of, of protection. Uh, and it was a place of companionship. We're told that, you know, Eve was created for Adam in order that he might have a suitable companion. And God walked with them in the cool of the day. So there was this intimacy of fellowship. All these things that we associate with home are really idealized in the Garden of Eden. But the tragedy is we also know that sin entered in and disrupted all of that. And man is cast out of the Garden And there's been a longing to get back to the garden ever since. And so we can sort of think of the human race as being in exile, as being wanderers away from home. In fact, that's one of the the complaints that Cain made when he was cast even further out was that I'm just a wanderer and a vagabond on the earth. And it was a punishment that he said was beyond his ability to, to bear. So being... Uh, a person who's an outcast, an exile away from home is a difficult experience. And I think it's something that all human beings sort of feel on one level uh, or another. So maybe to make that practical, one way that we can envision hospitality is thinking, how can I create an atmosphere that sort of invites people back into a realm where those things that we lost when we were driven from the garden are kind of restored. There's protection, there's uh, connection, there's relationship, there's provision, uh, putting food on the table, washing the feet, making people comfortable. Um, these are some things that we might can think of as, as well, that's part of what I'm trying to accomplish when I'm inviting people into my home is to give them a little taste uh, of Eden restored. Mm-hmm. You have any other thoughts on biblical foundations for hospitality? Well, I, another plate. Well, first of all, I, I think that that imagery of the garden and getting back to that is a, a theme that you see all throughout the Bible, uh, but one that I don't know that we often apply to hospitality. So I think that's just an incredible thought and something that should be viewed as a privilege and a blessing that we get to open our lives in such a way that could bring people back to to a place like that. 
but uh, and especially before we go especially as christians you know because we do have that dimension of our life that is is reconnected with god and if we're inviting other people into that then we're inviting them into a realm where in some sense eden is restored because we do have a restored relationship with god and they should be able to kind of sense that as they come into our home or our our company sorry it's no that it's just incredible to to think about Another place, I think, is, uh, first of all, over in Exodus, the story of, of Israel in exile in Egypt. And so that, that continues this theme of exile that we see in the Bible. But in, um, in the law, uh, unlike ancient cultures or most ancient cultures and laws, it's one of the few uh, nations that had any laws that protected foreigners. Okay. Most nations treated foreigners very poorly. They were uh, abused, or neglected, probably at best. At worst, they were taken advantage of in a number of ways. And you even see, unfortunately, God's own people at some places in the Old Testament failing to, to keep the law and falling into the same thing that the other nations were doing and mistreating uh, foreigners um, and, and their own people that were journeying through. But... Ten times in the law, this concept of treating the foreigner, this idea of hospitality is brought up, which I think emphasizes just how important it is to God. But the first place is in Exodus 23 and verse 9. And this is where, first of all, God gives the reason for hospitality. Um, and he says there, Do not oppress a foreigner, for you yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. And so a very simple principle here, but he says, you know what it's like to be outcast. You know what it's like to be mistreated and abused and taken advantage of. You know what it's like to be treated as a slave and as somebody who's worthless. And so don't be like that toward others. And in our day, you know, we probably have not experienced anything quite like that. We, unless we were, you know, traveling around, we've never really even been foreigners, but we all know what it's like to feel isolated and on the fringe. I think the classic example that I think of is, uh, you know, we all know what it feels to be that person sitting alone at the lunch table. Mm -hmm. And if, if we know what that feels like and we know what it's like to be on the outside, then don't let anybody else feel that way. Be aware, be intentional, um, and, and express that care to the people around you. Um, and so if, if, if we know what that feels like, don't let anybody else feel that way. But then the, the other thing, the other reason that he gives is not just that um, you know what it's like to be in that position, but to mistreat the foreigner would be to completely forget what God had done for them. Okay. He had brought them out of Egypt. He'd brought them through the Red Sea. He protected them through the wilderness, and he delivered them into in many ways, a new Eden, this promised land, a, a land that's described as flowing with milk and honey. And it's this land of abundance where everything was just perfectly set in place for them to just kind of walk into and tend to, just like Adam and Eve were supposed to do in the garden. Um, and if, if all these blessings are nothing that they did on their own, but everything came from God, then how could they not use that to bless the foreigners, to bless the people who are out on the fringes of society, 
to take care of the strangers because nothing is uh, of their own anyway. And that idea, I think, is, is so practical for us. Nothing that we have is on our own. Even the things that we have worked for throughout our lives uh, have been put into place because God has given us the ability or God has put us in a, in a position to, to have these things. And so if all these blessings are from God and they're not our own, then why would we not make sure that the people around us are taken care of through these things and extend uh, Eden to them, extend this garden uh, just like you talked about and how much of a privilege that is. So I, I think that's what one one key there, the reason for hospitality. Yeah, and you know we've emphasized that in so many of these one another studies, what God's continually asking us to do is say, hey, here's how I've treated you. This is what I've given to you. I'm just asking you to, to do the same for somebody else. And that's what he was asking for Israel to do. I've given you a land to dwell in that, that is a gift uh, and uh, you're, you're accountable for the gift that you're given. Now use that to extend uh, a welcoming hand to someone else. I like that. In, in the law, um, I, I think that kind of like shows the reason for hospitality. But then I think also the law shows us the, the goal of hospitality. And that's something that, that we really value with rules. We want to know the reason behind it and the goal for it. And in this one, God gives us both. Okay. Uh, and the goal is... Well, first we'll just read Leviticus 19 and verse 33. It says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as a native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so not only does he say to not mistreat them, uh, which hopefully, hopefully we're not doing, hopefully we're not so far as to intentionally mistreat someone, but there's a positive command to this too, to treat them as the native born, mm -hmm. to treat them like family, uh, the golden rule, to love them as yourself. And there are so many stories that just kind of flood your mind when you hear those words, love them as yourself. And uh, just throughout the Bible, we see different characters who embody that. But of course, I think the one that kind of surfaces to the top is um, uh, the the Good Samaritan. Um, here, this isn't a man inviting him into his home, but he's passing by the way and he sees uh, someone who is in need and someone who hasn't been treated in a hospitable way. He's this person who's passing through and uh, was a stranger and taken advantage of by other people. But this Good Samaritan comes and he, he pours in uh, his time and his effort and care into this person who was a, a social enemy in many yeah. ways. Um, but he sees to his every need. And of course, in that context, that's that's the same context in which Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so I, I think that's just so powerful. It shows the goal of hospitality is to make strangers into friends and friends into family. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to, to put that, Jarrett. And, you know, it, it, one of the things that just raises to mind, you know, it's controversy in America today is about immigration and how many immigrants should we should allow into the country and things like that. And regardless of what you believe or, or think should be the policy in terms of the federal government, uh, it, it, it certainly is Christians and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, whenever we personally encounter 
literally a foreigner, a person who is not native born, or like you said, people who may be, but are kind of on the fringe or on the outside to have that attitude of we're, we're looking to bring them into God's family by, by showing them hospitality, by befriending them, and ultimately by bringing them into the kingdom. Um, and, you know, that would be a way also to, to address some of the fears that we might have of being overwhelmed by uh, uh, immigration uh, as, as let's, let's think of as Christians, uh, no, we're, we're, we're given an opportunity now to, to influence these immigrants, to bring them to have our values and to know our God mm-hmm. and to truly be our friends and family. So uh, it gives us a position of how can I how can I respond to this and not merely react to it. Mm-hmm. Well, one more uh, sort of underpinning for how we can think about hospitality from a sort of a biblical theological standpoint. I, I think this is so rich. Thanks for for what you shared there from the law. But to me, Jesus is sort of the ultimate example of. First of all, the exile, what it means to be the outcast. When you think about uh, he, he, he sojourned or he left behind, he became the foreigner uh, in the world because he left heaven. He left his home behind to come and sojourn among us when the word became flesh and, and dealt, dwelt among us. And then when, when he was born in this world, he wasn't welcomed into the palace. There was no room for him in the inn. Uh, so he had to be born in a barn, you know, placed in the animal shelter. Uh, and then shortly after that, we know that because of Herod's uh, bloodthirst to eliminate the potential rival king, he had to flee with his family to Egypt and was in exile in Egypt for a time. When he returns and becomes, uh, you know, begins his personal ministry, he tells his disciples who would follow him, look, the son of man, you know, the foxes have holes in the ground, the birds have the trees of the uh, the nests and the trees, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he is ultimately rejected by the rulers of his people. They condemn him and judge him unworthy to live in this world. They crucify him on a cross where he is left utterly abandoned to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think when we read the story of Jesus, we read the story of the ultimate exile, the person who is far from home and uh, all alone, ultimately on that cross, he is an outcast and alone. But the irony of it, as we know, and as, as Isaiah would say, he was wounded for our transgressions. He became the exile, the cosmic exile for us. We were cast out of Eden And so he becomes the ultimate outcast in order to provide a way to bring us back in. And maybe that's a way to just think of of what the gospel is. He becomes this exile so that he can become the ultimate host who returns home and brings, uh, brings us home with him. One day he's going to welcome us home into the father's house. He says, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is going to bring his people home, and we're going to feast uh, and and a banquet, and we will be satisfied, and our needs will be met, we'll be secure. Uh, All the things that were lost in Eden and that Jesus suffered the loss of those himself in order that he could bring us back and become our host 
is an amazing way to think of, of what the gospel is really all about. And uh, even now, you know, he greets us into the family of God. He makes us who are strangers and aliens friends and then brings us into the family, adopts us as children of God. And he gathers us around his table every week. I mean, that to me, it just blows my mind that as uh, Mephibosheth uh, would say, a dead dog like me should be granted uh, entrance into the table to sit with David uh, at his table. Well, that's who we are. We, we've been lost and abandoned, and we've been brought into the family of God uh, to sit at his table. That's, that's the ultimate honor that we can experience in this life, and we've been brought into that. And then, um, you know, he washes our feet. Uh, he washes not just our feet, but our hands and our head also. In baptism, Jesus washes us clean like the guests, that uh, the angels that came to Abraham. Uh, he washed their feet. So Jesus is both the ultimate exile, the ultimate host. And I think that is a picture of the gospel. And again, as his people, he's just asking us to do the same for other people, to go out of our comfort zone, to bring strangers in, to become friends with them so that ultimately they can become part of the family of God. Well, let's talk for a little bit about how we can do this in a very practical way as um, God's people, um, how we can show hospitality, maybe some of the things that tempt us to not do it, but some barriers we need to overcome, or just, again, practical things that we can do to kind of get started on this. Any thoughts that you've got? Right. Well, first of all, hospitality has to begin with an invitation. And you know, maybe that can be a little awkward at first. Maybe it's kind of uncomfortable to invite someone you don't know what they're going to say, but uh, somebody's got to start the process. And so it starts with just that invitation. And even though it's always usually very busy and there's a lot going on, it's amazing how once you make a plan <laughs> and you force yourself into an obligation, Things just kind of work out. Yeah. And we experience that with a number of things in life, but that's certainly true of, of hospitality. We pick a date to, you know, have people over or to to share a meal with someone out somewhere else or just to spend time and listen to somebody. I, I knew a, a, a family, uh, I think it was back home at Southside or it may have been years before that, who would have people over just for cheese and crackers. <laughs> but that was their way of showing hospitality. And they were, they were just so giving and, and caring in that way and, and showed that you were important to them. So I think it all starts with uh, that, that invitation. Very good. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing too is, is the cheese and crackers uh, part of that. We, we sometimes think, well, the standard of hospitality is, is Martha Stewart. <laughs> and if everything is not perfect and grand and it's not the best meal ever, then it's, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed or, or whatever. But that's not the point. The point is the heart that we put into it. It's the, um, it's the spirit with which we do it. Show hospitality without grumbling, he mm -hmm. says. It's the atmosphere that we create of, of friendship and a desire to simply include people in something that may be very simple. So, you know, I would encourage people to focus on what you have, not what you don't have. Uh, do you have a table with four legs? Do you have a few chairs? Do you have some cheese and crackers? And do you have a do you have a heart that wants to welcome people in? And if you do, you've got everything you need to show hospitality. Well, maybe just one thing to to add to that is 
to remember those who can be easy to forget. Mm. Um, Jesus, as you mentioned, I mean, throughout his life, he constantly showed that care and concern to people that nobody else would. Uh, in fact, his one of the, the biggest accusations that his enemies made was that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. Um, but he was, he was showing hospitality to the people who were on the fringe of society and grafting them into the family and made a far greater impact on their lives for better than someone who was uh, too uh, religious or too self-righteous to, to, to spend time around them. And so just for us, you know, you think about, you think about spending time and in, in, um, being hospitable to the sick, the widows, um, new people, um, uh, shut-ins, um, going and, and visiting people in prison, um, others maybe of, of one that, that uh, we can do even more is uh, being hospitable to students and to older people uh, among our congregation and to just newcomer, newcomers in the community. Uh, there are people who, who uh, are, are maybe moving into your neighborhood. What better way to welcome them? What better way to, to show them the gospel than to invite them into your home, to invite them into hopefully what you have created almost as a, a, a replica, as close as you can get to the Garden of Eden and that place where they at least in some way can have some kind of relationship with God through you and through you inviting them in, into your home. And just one quick story that pops in my mind about that is um, Ralph Walker, the preacher where I, I went down in Tampa for four years, um, his family uh, uh, had a, a, another boy over for a number of years from junior high up until high school that was the same age as Ralph. They were best of friends, but this, this young man uh, came from a, a very difficult home life. Uh, but through the years, as they continually had him over and he slowly started to come to church with them, he grew up and Ralph and this man, Mark Broyles, both are now two incredible preachers of the gospel. Um, and so through just someone being hospitable, uh, they not only saved this young man's life, but I, I believe perhaps his family or maybe just his brothers and sisters as well. Uh, but then now he's gone on to save countless other people, all because one family chose to be hospitable to one another. We always wonder what we can do, what's our place in the kingdom of God, and maybe we don't have what we think of as outstanding skills or abilities, but if we can have that welcoming heart and uh, open up our homes to someone, uh, we can make uh, an unbelievable impact. So don't be discouraged. Uh, rather, find ways that you can uh, create that atmosphere that would be welcoming to other people and show hospitality, do it without grumbling. And the goal is to uh, make uh, strangers into friends and friends into family, just like the Lord has done for us. So thank you so much for uh, joining us again this week. We'll conclude as we always do with a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for uh, the, the privilege and the opportunity to study your word together today. Thank you for every listener at, at home who's joined us. We pray that the impact of this lesson will be such that their hearts and homes and uh, would, would be open to reach others and to show them the welcoming love of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was the friend of sinners 
who found us who were far from home and stranded in sin and has brought us to your presence. And so we give him praise and glory, and we pray this prayer in his mighty name, and amen. Amen.